Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to Jude 3 Project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And I'm so excited to have a, a special guest on today who's no stranger to the Jude 3 Project. He's been on before. He's written, uh, we have a couple of his articles on our website as well. Mr. Vocab Malone, welcome, Vocab. Hey, how you doing, Lisa? Good to be back on Jude 3. I listen every week. <laughs> Good to have you. I'm I'm so uh thankful that uh, for your support and um faithful uh tuning into the podcast. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. You have a new book out. And before we get to that, I want you to tell our listeners who haven't heard of you um just a little bit more about yourself. Well, according to the Hebrew Israelites, before I got deep into apologetics, I was one of the worst rappers in the world. And then wow. <laughs> a failed rap career in which I really wanted to be like Israel. That means like black folks. That's the, what they're saying by that. I instead decided to latch on in a different way, which is urban apologetics. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my Hebrew Israelite bio. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I just came up loving hip hop and tried to interweave uh, that and that leads to conversations and next thing you know you want to have information in these conversations that led to studying informal because a lot of the stuff we talk about um is not going to be really taught in a seminary at this point but also formal because it gives you the tools to be able to study the stuff we're talking about so i've been able to do both and i never thought i would be here saying oh here's this book i wrote that's a primer on the hebrew israelism religion never thought that would happen and yet God just orchestrated things literally that I could have never predicted. And now there is a book that exists that is a primer on Hebrew Israelism. And it literally just came out last Tuesday. Uh, mm -hmm. It came out early October. I'll just say that because whatever the last Tuesday was, I don't know at this point. But yeah, <laughs> so here we are. Awesome. I'm thankful you wrote it and I have it here. Barack Obama versus the black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, you have your copy as well. Um, so thank you for this copy. I appreciate it. Um, so, why did you name it uh, Barack Obama versus Black Hebrew Israelites? I know because I've I've started reading the book. So, uh, but for our audience who 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 don't understand the connection, 
Why why was that important for you to name it that? Um, because it's a standard Cointel Pro tactic for the white man to set. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Uh, that's again what the Hebrews like to say. Maybe your jokes uh, or maybe your guests are a little more professional than uh, I am normally, which I respect. But in all seriousness, uh, I saw a scene on YouTube that the Hebrewsites were talking about where Obama debated Hebrewsites. And I was like, Obama, the young apologist, let me watch this movie. So I go watch the Netflix movie called Barry, which I found really intriguing, like very, uh, it's not a perfect movie, it has a little slow spots, or whatever, but very human. So I, I really enjoyed it in that level. And indeed, there's a couple times where he uh, is walking down the strip in Harlem. And I looked into this. He really did have an apartment in Harlem at one point, And he really was close to the original One West School where the Hebrewsites kind of originated out of in 69. And so he would have had to have almost come in contact with them. And so I don't know if this thing really happened. But what the thing that happened is they're accosting a drunk white lady, the Hebrewsites on the street. And Obama, uh, uh, there's a slang term called cape. And he capes for her, meaning he comes to the rescue. So he he comes in and he starts asking the, the guy with the mic some questions. And so the minute I saw that, I said, that is a title for a book because you can use that scene. And it's like a cultural touch point now in a way, you know, like it's sort of in pop culture. So it's not obscure as sort of the religion of Hebrew Israelism is itself. And you can take that and do all kinds of shoot. It can shoot all kinds of different ways because I saw immediately a bunch of connections between that scene and what you could talk about with Hebrew Israelism. And also it's better than just intro 101 survey. You know, I was like, I don't want to do that. And so um, that's why what it is. It comes from that scene, that little miniature debate scene. Mm -hmm. I should have said just read the book. So just kidding. (laughs) Everyone else. That's quite interesting. And you speak, and this is about the one West Hebrew Israelites. Um, specifically, and you mentioned some other sects in there. What is the distinguishing um, kind of beliefs of the One West group? Right. So even on the back of the book, some of the people I mentioned are not One Westers. So I'm talking about Hebrew Israelism, but then I'm sort of zoomed in on One Westism. And within that, um, sometimes I'll do a compare and contrast between a non-One West Hebrew Israelite and a One West Hebrew Israelite. So I mentioned 1969. I mentioned Harlem. And the reason why we call them One West is because they come out of a school that was located at One West 125th Street. And uh, they had different addresses, but that's kind of the commonly associated address when the school really formed what it was. And so now that school is no longer an entity, but there's a whole bunch of different sects and variations of Hebrew Israelites that ideologically and sometimes literally historically trace back to one West. And so we knew we needed to differentiate because there's Tanakh only Hebrew Israelites. There's Hebrew Israelites who do accept the New Testament as Messiah, but yet they're not one West, like Israel of God, for example, that Amari Stoudemire is part of, or influenced by, uh, that's maybe the better way to say it, because um, he's kind of associated with the Demona community now. But like, uh, it's a way to differentiate, but it doesn't mean we don't talk about anything else, but there's a focus on one West Hebrew Israelites, which here's why. And not everyone will agree, but I, I really think it's uncontestable when you go on social media or if you walk down the street. They're the most visible. They're the most vicious. They're the most vibrant. That's why. That's why there's a focus on them. It's the clear and present issue of it versus um, some of the other groups that got their issues, but it's they're not out on the streets every week. They're not in your face. They're not up, up on social media. you got to kind of go to their church. So that's why I focus on the One Westers. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, that That's helpful. For those who haven't, 
heard of Hebrew Israelites. I get people all the time who are saying, hey, my family members in something. I think it's kind of weird. I don't know what it is. They believe they're the true uh, Israel. I'm kind of confused about it. I hear this all the time from not only uh, people that family members have gotten uh, caught into it or pastors who have mm-hmm. no idea what it is at all. Could you just give an overview uh, before we even dive even deeper? Because some folks are even lost from the gate with the name of Hebrew Israelites. Right. So what you just said, though, Lisa, is exactly why the book exists. It's a gap. It's supposed to fill a gap in a knowledge base. It's supposed to fill a gap in information between uh, the the serious, curious Christian over here and this thing that is making more and more incursions into people's daily lives. And so there, that's why it's really a primer, not an all-out refutation. It has points of refutation, but it's really like a one-on-one type of thing. Um, so what is Hebrew Israelism? The sort of main thesis is this idea that, now I'm going to use their terminology, so-called African Americans are the true blood descendants of the Old Testament, they don't like that term, but nonetheless, biblical Israelites. That's the thesis. Now, that's not the main problem, though, that a Christian should have with them, in my view, is to disagree about that. That thesis, in and of itself, although historically dubious, is not enough to go over into unorthodoxy or heresy. However, that's the central uniting thing, but here's what's up. Around that always come a cluster of beliefs that are unorthodox and often, well, almost always. I've never met really anyone who's not heretical in key issues. The deity of Christ, denigrated. He's no longer fully God. Uh, What Christ did on the cross, denigrated. He simply did away with the law of sacrifice is what they'll say. Um, uh, The new covenant, denigrated. We're not even in it. Um, The equality at the foot of the cross, Galatians 3.28, taken away all of a sudden there's an ethnic hierarchy either so-called gentiles can't even get into the kingdom or so-called gentiles must maintain their place and they use this word called protocol they have to have proper protocol which means being other under someone from the tribe of judah which means that um they could only if they were allowed to be in and most one westerners say they can't but if they were they would could for example only teach other non-israelites meaning they could teach asians or or Ishmaelites, or you know that type of thing, but they couldn't teach anyone who appears to be an Israelite. So the thing is, there's this main thesis, but then there's all this other stuff that they almost always believe. And the big one, well, another big one, is law-keeping. So repentance to them looks like wake up to your true nationality and heritage, now begin keeping the law, statutes, and commandments. That's not biblical repentance, but that's what they preach on the streets in essence. And that's why instead of bow the knee to Jesus— Take off your cross, grow your beard, take your pants and put a dress on, or, you know, take your hat off. That's what, uh, break up with your white girlfriend. See, that's why that's what they preach out on the street instead of true gospel repentance. That's why Christian apologists should be concerned. And that's why I'm glad that I see people doing stuff now about it. You know, I'm just, I'm just part of a whole wave that I see. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful. I'm I'm so appreciative for your work and the time you spend uh, researching this particular group because it's important because they are gaining ground in a lot of different places they that they, they would normally gain ground in, as, especially because of the internet and the way they use social media strategically mm-hmm. um, helps them gain ground. Um, it helps them gain more exposure. And with people like Kendrick Lamar making 
not necessarily being a part of them in in, in a in an official sense, but still kind of still kind of saying some of their their stuff, um, mm -hmm. even though I'm not sure if he's adopted it fully, but still kind of believing some of what they say helps them to gain more ground in, in our society. One of the things that I'm really interested in, and I think you touched on it in your book, I had I, I saw it in the chapters was the Deuteronomy 28, because that is uh, one of their favorite passages. Um, Deuteronomy 28, I believe it's 60, is it 64? 64? 68 is the main verse. 68, 68. The okay. whole chapter is supposed to be relevant to their view of history. Can I read something from the book? So in the beginning of the chapter that is really what you're talking about, it's called mm -hmm. Deuteronomy 28 and Kendrick Lamar. There's a chapter mm -hmm. called that. And I open it up with a quote right here. It's offset. So if you bought the book and just went through and read all the quotes that I've got offset, I mean, that's pretty good. You know, that even that'll help you. And look at the charts and the quotes. You'll be doing all right. But it's better to read the whole book. But Rolling Stone asked Kendrick. Now, this Rolling Stone caught wind of this. Like, Rolling Stone. You know what I'm saying? If they're paying attention, that means the community's paying attention. Your cousin Carl, they know this dude's name. They Like, I mean, it's on the record, but I'm just saying. This is like detailed information. This is like, it just trips me out. Your cousin Carl is a member of the Hebrew Israelites. How much of his theology have you embraced? How often does Rolling Stone ask a question like that? You know, Kendrick Lamar, everything that I say on that record is from his perspective. It was taking his perspective on the world and life as a people and putting it to where people can listen to it, whether you agree or you don't agree, Rolling Stone. So what's your idea about the idea that black people are cursed by God as per Deuteronomy? Kendrick Lamar, that ish is the truth. There's so many different ways to interpret it. But it's definitely truth when you're talking about unity in our community and some of the things we have no control over. That was uh, August 2017. Oh, man, I just saw a typo. There's going to be a second edition within six months because I get so annoyed when I, I don't know how these, some of these typos slip by. But anyways, so <laughs> – but I think that's insightful right there. And so um, within that, Car Cousin Carl, when he gives a Periscope interview in another place on social media, he says when he got to Deuteronomy 28 – and he says he broke it down to Kendrick's whole camp. He says that their mind was blown. That was the thing that got him was Deuteronomy 28. And so verse 68 is the big verse, though. Mm -hmm. Which I think is in interesting in that verse, as I've been studying it myself, when we think about them going over on ships. And a commentator made a great point. It's like showing how much they've been forsaken by God which when they went over the first time they went over on land because he broke, he split the Red Sea open for them. Mm -hmm. But then they, they have to go over on ships because he's departed from them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's undoing it's, of the Exodus. Yes. It's, it's, so, it's kind of like when you read apocalyptic literature in some parts of the minor prophets, um, it's like the stars are falling. That's called sometimes decreation language because it's like almost the heavens are shaking itself. Like that's the severity of God's wrath. This is like deconstructing the Exodus. That's how he's saying that it's going to be at that level. If you don't, if you don't keep the covenant with your God, it's going to be at that level. Mm -hmm. So yeah, good point. So it's it's not actually showing that it's not actually pointing to where they're pointing to. It's saying that you're so forsaken by God that nobody's going to want to buy you. And so to me, that works against their argument because the uh, slave owners in Americas were eager to buy slaves. Yeah. So to me, it works against their narrative because it's like, well, that doesn't go with the text. 
Um, well, you know, can I tell you what they do with that real quick? Because your point is excellent and you're correct, okay? Mm-hmm. Here's what they do with that. That word buy can mean redeem. And what it's saying is there will be no one there to save you. No one saved us from slavery, not even that Turner or John Brown. That's the way they approach it. Now, that's incorrect because the whole slave thing that's happening in verse 68 is clearly like actual being sold into slavery. But then they are, they kind of take this out. You know, no one's Now, the thing is there are extra historical sources that give hints to some of 68 being fulfilled at various times in Israel's history, such as a time when Hebrew slaves were super cheap, such as a time when um, – it seems like they were deported out of the land and it does seem that ship by ship was the route. So there's a time where we do hear about slaves in Egypt. So, but the thing is like there's um, other verses in 28 that are like more clearly fulfilled in Israel's history. Verse 68 is more like you got to look at some extra biblical things for it. So what I want to train Christians or have them do is because they might not have all these historical sources in their back pocket to give the proper interpretation for 68 Instead, just ask them questions about Deuteronomy 28. And that's why in the book I have 13 questions you should ask interpreters who adopt the transatlantic equivalency thesis. <laughs> For <laughs> we real. Because we want them to buy the book. Um, well, but- no, but I want to, I want, yeah, I want people to know. Just let me give one, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to be sent back again to Egypt. So that means it has to be Egypt because they're going back again to a place. But they say it's America, but they weren't in America before. So then they have to say, well, it means the house of bondage, not actual actual Egypt. Well, then I say, okay, but the other times Egypt appears in Deuteronomy 28, it's literal. So why the third time when it gets to Egypt, it's no longer literal? That, that's a problem too. Then we go, so it says ships. So you believe those ships are slave ships, right? So they're taking physical ships to a figurative place. Or they're taking physical ships to a metaphysical reality or something like that. You see, it's just wrought with problems just in that little verse. And that's just some of the questions you can ask him. You can ask him, who's the king? that went over with the Israelites supposedly during the TAST uh, transatlantic slave trade uh, because it says your king who I who set over you will go with you. Cause we see that fulfilled in the Bible, but we don't see it in the slave trade. Uh, what did the slave traders destroy fortified walls and besiege cities? Because Deuteronomy 28 says that's going to happen. That clearly happened during ev- invasions and that we see in scripture, not during the transatlantic slave trade. Now they started to change our ar- argument and say, well, the perpetual and not all the curses are fulfilled in each event. But they used to teach basically it was a one per one correlation. We have seen them apologetically adjust their arguments. Regardless of what they say, we have seen them over the past 12 months adjust their arguments. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's important. That shows like their prior reconstructions were not adequate. That's what that shows us. Mm-hmm. They're still not adequate, but they're they're getting better. It's like we're almost helping them <laughs> we're helping them come up. But I mean, in all seriousness, ultimately truth truth is the the truth of the gospel is with the with the Christian, not with the Hebrew Israelite message. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying the Hebrew Israelites have no truth, right? Because otherwise it wouldn't be appealing. This this religion does have an appeal. And I think circumstances right now are make it extra appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Unfortunately. I, I definitely agree. When we when we think about other verses that uh, they use um, to kind of um, stri- to, to to prove their point, uh, their their proof text, uh, we'll call it. What are some of those other key passages? I know Deuteronomy twenty eight is the central, but what are some other passages that they use? Great question. Revelation chapter thirteen, verse nine and ten. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now that's out of the ESV. That is not a translation they would use. They would use the KJV. Do you have something else in front of you you could read? Out of, do you have Revelation 13, 9, and 10 in front of you? If not, I can put it up on my phone. Yeah, because while you're doing that, let me say something ab about it. You the said Revelation they, 9 and 10? Revelation 13, 9 and 10. Okay. The way they use that, and it's one of their main verses, is what they're going to say, and I think it's clear for them in the KJV. Now, the ESV actually gets the better sense of the verb tenses and a better sense of the intended meaning, but they don't like the ESV because of that partially. Um, what they try to say is that this shows us that if you have led Israel into captivity, you yourself will be led into captivity. So this is a one West proof text that uh, Arabs, that uh, Europeans, all of that will therefore be in slavery in the kingdom because the one West doctrine of eschatology has perpetual slavery via reincarnation. So one Westerners believe in reincarnation. And so what happens is let's say that uh, you're a white slave in the kingdom and you act up and your master kills you. You get reincarnated as a little white baby, and so you're in slavery again. Because one time I asked them, can you race jump? You know, could you go like from being like an Edomite? That's what they call white people. To uh, all of a sudden you're in the tribe of Levi? Nope, you're stuck. So it's like a racial caste system in their reincarnation schema. So because of that, they view white people walking around, and Arabs especially walking around. That's probably the second group they hate the most. It doesn't get talked about. Everyone talks about, you know, white. But really, there's a strong hatred uh, for Arabs, generally speaking, from this religion as well. They'll say um, um, they also will be put into slavery for their role in the transatlantic slave trade. But if a white person's like, but I didn't do anything, you know what I'm saying? They're like, yes, you did because you're reincarnated. You could have been Master John 200 years ago. Mm. Like th That's literally what they think. So uh, now I'm talking about one Westerners. If someone's watching this say, my friend doesn't say that about me. That means they're not a one Wester or they're a one Wester who's been influenced by other sources because that's official one West that the schools and the sex uh, offshoot from that school adopt. An exception that is one West branch but doesn't believe in that is GOCC, the Gathering of Christ Church. GOCC, uh, the elder, the main elder, Raka, is the one who debated James White. So that's an example of GOCC. And you still see even that debate how the religions rot with problems. But they have a kind of softer, gentler ethnic hierarchy in their schema in which uh, other nations could be grafted in. Mm. So, okay, sorry. Could you read Revelation 13, 9, and 10 then? Mm -hmm. Read! <laughs> if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, that verse would help them better for what they're trying to prove there. But a few things about it, Bible doesn't teach reincarnation, of course, first of all. Second of all, if you read the context of the passage, what it's saying, and the ESV gets this better, uh, what it's saying is whoever during this time of tribulation that is a saint, that will be sort of God is marking them out that they will be part of those who are persecuted, it will happen. But God is saying, that's why the, in, that's why the verse ends with the comfort. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Like you will be able to handle what's going to happen. And, and God is saying, this is part of what I will have for some people in these times of tribulation. And saying it, it will be done in us. And if you read Revelation 13, you clearly see that because the beast is persecuting the saints in this passage. It's not about retribution. It's not about, and I got this from Adam Coleman, who was also at Thriving Frequency. What's up, Scott Lane? Uh, I got this from him. It's not about God being Django in the sky, but that's kind of what they have going on. 
So when you look at this, you see it's the opposite. It's of, of really the kind of thing they teach. Not only that, let's just do logic for a second. If it's true that if you lead someone into captivity and kill them with a sword, then you will have the same thing done to you, then guess what? As the so-called Hebrewites lead the white people and the Arabs and the Asians into slavery, that means they need to later on be led into slavery themselves. If that's the way this actually works, it's be a perpetual cycle because they led someone into slavery. Or does it stop there? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What do they do with that? They don't really have good answers for yeah. those kind of questions. And I think that's important because I think something that is missed oftentimes when we talk about uh, slavery in the Old Testament and the children of Israel being enslaved, we forget that the same people that were enslaved at one point um, enslaved others at another point. And so I think it's important to think through that um, even as we're talking about this today. Right. And Lisa, that whole issue in some ways, um, it's, it's, it's difficulty dealing with Hebrew Israelism because there's parts where you believe that, or at least I believe that satire is, is good and effective because you have people that out of these groups, not all of them, but they will, in a, in a debate about the, the Bible, feel free to say something like, and this is a quote, uh, Vocab Malone, if you have a daughter, I hope she is kidnapped and raped to death. And then two lines down, your mother's head needs to be chopped off. You have people that will say that while you're talking to them about the Bible. So sometimes it's like, how do you respond? Some satire sometimes might be good because what else do you do with some of these? Um, but that's the thing is, what, what I'm saying is we can't just stop there. And I don't just stop there. I mean, I feel like there's like multi ways. There's multiple ways to respond at different times. Because what I'm trying to say is this does touch on real hurts. This does touch upon a real sense of a loss of dignity and identity. And this is like this overreaction to try to get something back that can only be achieved through the gospel. And we know that. And now when I say the gospel, I'm, I'm not sort of just stopping there. Let me say the gospel and its implications. And yes, I do mean socially and especially starting with the church. But it starts first with the gospel before you get the implications socially and in, in the church uh especially in America. I mean, that's where it, some of this real stuff has to go down. So it's touching on real issues, but we also shouldn't kid ourselves. Every person within Hebrew Israelism is not just responding to hurts and negativity. There are aspects of this belief that are so vile that they simply attract people who have a bloodlust. I'm not saying everyone. Hebrew Israelite watches this like he's painting us with an unfair picture. I'm trying to really work hard to separate and distinct uh, the different groups. But there are some folks who are just attracted to the idea that in the kingdom, now this is specifically one group, GMS, but nonetheless, this exists. In the kingdom, as soon as a woman displays that she is now having the signs of womanhood, AKA her first period, then in the kingdoms, you will be able to take her or grab her at will. What that means is you'll be able to rape women in the kingdom as part of what God gives you, and that's a biblical doctrine, according to GMS. The other groups disavow that. But... The folks in GMS, it's more complex than this, oh, you've been hurt, so you react to this. There's some folks in there, just, there's, there's a, a vile aspect that attracts some folks to this. Not every camp. I specifically said GMS. I want to reiterate. But nonetheless, that needs to be dealt with. And here's what I don't like, Lisa. When I critique or critique some of those more um, like bizarre and just clearly wicked doctrines, a lot of times the moderates get upset. And I've been seeing this again and again. And it's a problem. There's a lack of willingness among the so-called moderates to stand against because they say, well, those are our brothers. This is an in-house debate. The Christians should stay out, especially the white Christians. They always have a reason why they can't publicly 
come against it. Now, every now and then you'll get ones who will really publicly come against it, but you see a real lack of willingness to really call it out, in my view. And uh, it just festers. It just keeps on going. And so um, we're not going to sit back while they work it out. We're going to say, church, we need to deal with this because this is affecting real women in this world now. Well, we've seen it time and time again. The biggest victim of this thing uh, oftentimes are the women that are related to these men. Because mm-hmm. do men, do they adopt polygamy in some of their um, – So IUIC their- doesn't. Israel United in Christ, that's the one that influenced Kendrick Lamar. They do not. But that is them getting away from One West. So they've shed that One West doctrine. That is a One West doctrine, distinctive. IUIC is still a One West school in the sense of their ideology, but they've got rid of that. But uh, Sakari, they say if a woman doesn't adopt polygamy, she's filthy. And they say that that's a biblical warrant for saying she's specifically, they use that word, filthy, uh, biblically speaking. Sakari does. GMS does. ISUBK certainly are big on polygamy. They, they teach that it's how... The men will learn how to be kings in the in the kingdom because it teaches you nation building skills because you have to manage competing interests. Like this is this is the rationale you hear. A moderate down in Atlanta, Georgia, divine prospect, Ron Shields, who's clearly like the the like wonderkin of the bunch. Like like the dude is like a genius whiz kid, no doubt. Like for real, much respect. But he adopts and he doesn't like to call polygamy. He calls it polygyny. They have this other version because. Basically, I think it's specifically it only means men with multiple wives. Polygamy would be both ways, so it's polygyny. Uh, I think that's how they use it. But so even you'll see some of the moderates uh, embracing it. Israel of God doesn't, but then again, they're not they're not a one west school. So that's a real thing. And you know, the the second wife has no protection. The third wife has no protection. They have no protection. They're just trapped in this this bad messed up situation. It's it's a uh, we've done a couple shows with uh, Sister. Rich- Cherry and Raquel, they're in Shield Squad, our apologetics crew, and it's called Victims of One West. Just Google that title, Victims of One West, and look up for those two shows, and it's just heartbreaking because there's a marriage in there 50 years, 50 years. That's how long these folks were married. This isn't just affecting younger folks anymore. So we better pay attention. And I hope another better book is, comes along and is a better primer, and I hope another book comes along that's a, a more thorough refutation there's lots of books on Islam. There needs to be lots of books on Hebrew Israelism. So I'm trying to like spark people like, let's do this. Y'all let's do this. Let, let me just be a contributor. Let's do this. Cause I don't really know how much longer we're going to wait with all these issues going on in the community. And here's this Hebrew Israelism. We're just watching it grow right under our noses. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important um, for people to take this seriously. One of the things that I've, when we do our um, training um, and engaging um, Hebrew Israelites for Jude 3 is um, I, the last one I taught. It's usually pastors and leaders. And I make the point that one of the biggest problems in the church is that if we are using the text incorrectly, we don't have a leg to stand on <laughs> when engaging Hebrew Israelites. So if you use Deuteronomy 28 as a claiming blessings 1 through 14, it's going to be problematic um, and very difficult to engage because hermeneutics, it, it, the hermeneutics for those who don't know the art of interpreting scripture, is important. And it's one of the reasons why this group is able to thrive because we haven't taught people how to study the Bible in its proper context. And so while apps like Uversion and, and, and devotionals are very popular in Christian circles, they are not helpful 
um, for a robust understanding of scripture. And I think that people are trained to read the verse of the day and they just go away or they read a devotional day and they're done. And as long as they felt like they got a message from God, they're good, which is okay if, if that's a supplement to something that's more robust. And so because uh, people don't know how to interpret scripture, they're very much easy prey for groups like Hebrew Israelites. And so I've just always challenged pastors and leaders, make sure you're trained your congregation on how to study the Bible, because if not, you can't just bring a vocab Malone in or bring a Jew three in to, t- to help with the Hebrew Israelite issue. If you're creating other issues by not training people on how to properly interpret scripture. Yeah. The real issues with this really do begin with us, you know, like every, not just to make us all guilty and feel bad about ourselves, but it really does begin first with, with the church and God's people, regardless of uh, what part of the church, like this is a church wide problem. And whether we see it or not, you know, if you're a white evangelical in the suburb, whatever, you know, or if you're over here, over there, it's still relevant to all of us because it affects the global church. And so we got to care. And some of those issues right there. And when you see some of these guys who are truly skilled in this art of um, the reader and kind of the interpreter, it's almost like now if Hebrews are funny. They're like, listen to vocabulary and look at listen how admirably he talks about us. I think it's because he wants to be us. Or sometimes they'll say, uh, I'm suspect. If I talk too admirably about them, it means I'm actually gay. I'm just telling you, these are real comments these guys give to me. But I just believe in calling things as they are. When you watch some of these guys who are really skilled in the interpreter with the reader method, it's almost like watching jazz musicians. Like they know where to go in and out and where to weave it. And there's like this perfect sense of timing and flow. And to someone who has never seen someone handle the scriptures like that, it can be dazzling. And I have firsthand accounts of where I say, tell me how you got into this thing. And someone will say, they came over to the house. I was super skeptical. I didn't even really have a lot of respect for the Bible. I mean, I had some, I knew my mom was into it. But when I saw these men who look like me, who were strong men, who, who dressed, you know, this is when they didn't have their, their garb on. They dressed normal like me and they're here and they're just flowing. They're answering every question that I have in a way that no pastor had ever done. And they're flowing in and out like in perfect sync. Like I've heard people, they're just like mesmerized by some of these guys with the way they're handled. It's just like an awe. Like I had never seen that done before. I'd never, and it can't just be like pastor on stage or so-and-so on the screen. The Our Christians need to be able to, handle the word of god better we have the truth for goodness sake and not these i mean i'm not trying to be mean again but basically these cult members outdo us and and shine through with things that are half truths it's a real a real shame and to the like little kind of pastor little ministry hold on to their kingdom and kind of like well you gotta be training your people or you're you're gonna lose them anyway you know like you gotta empower them and equip them or you're gonna lose them anyway to stuff like this Because it's 2017, it's no longer, there is an internet, everyone, and Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. walk out in the streets, and everyone in America doesn't think so similarly as they used to, and people were exposed to global realities than they used to be. Like, it's time to understand that, y'all. I mean, that's why, you know, this Thriving Frequency hashtag was woke church, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important because I I have a friend, her, her best friend has was strong in church, um, has just got swept away in Hebrew Israelite 
um, because her boyfriend embraced it. And I think now he's her fiance, but he was able to draw her with him. And she was trying to, my friend was trying to talk to them before they left the church. And what happened was she said her boyfriend, her friend's boyfriend started being around Hebrew Israelites, started seeing videos, um, started going to the meetings in, um, and this is in Virginia beach, started going to the meetings. And he said he went to his pastor and had a list of questions and was like, I need you to debunk this from me because I'm hearing this uh, from videos. I'm meeting with people and I just, and he left him with a series of questions and his pastor said, okay, I'll get back to you and never got back to him. And he took that as you don't have the answers. And so you're right. Gonna- he pulled the Kanye on him. You don't have the answers, <laughs> pastors. <laughs> and so I think because pastors aren't taking, in some cases, aren't taking this seriously, um, aren't taking the question seriously, or maybe just don't know the answers themselves, uh, people are leaving because they're like, well, if you can't answer this question, then I'm with the wrong group <laughs> of yeah. people. And so I think that's, you know, to add to your point, it's, it's so, so important because you're going to, like he left his church. You're gonna lose them anyway if you don't if you don't take this seriously. Yeah, and um, you know, we're talking about Hebrew Israelism, but it's now one of many what you might call these. I don't like these terminologies, but I don't know what else to say to explain what I'm trying to explain. Alternative urban spiritualities. It's now one of many. Like, yeah, I focus. I think we need to have specialists. You know what I'm saying? Of course, uh, when my new book came out, uh, one of the YouTube sponsors was Vocab Malone publishes his sick obsession. <laughs> so to me, it's just simply a specialization. You know what I'm saying? They call me stalker Stan. I mean, these dudes are funny, right? This is why it's like the perfect, I mean, I enjoy it though. It's not, everyone's not cut out to deal with these guys, but uh, I feel blessed to be involved with it. But like, but we're not even talking about Nuwabians, Moors, sovereign citizens. Um, of course, you know, comedic cats, conscious community, and there's all types of variations with that. We're not even like talking about all that stuff. And that's all making these incursions. Plus, you have the old standbys of Nation of Islam and the five percenters. And you start to go down the list, and it's a daunting. And I'm not just trying to be mad at people, but sometimes I look at my bookshelf, and I am a little mad. I'm like, there's Kingdom of Cults. Where's the urban version? Again, urban, that's a weird word. What am I supposed to say, right? But where's the version that deals with – it's like, you know, and even in, in Kingdom of Cults, the older versions have a chapter on Nation of Islam. The newer versions don't. It's like even our little spot got taken out. You know, it's not in the newer version. Like, what? where is it? And so it's a book here, it's a book there, and you got to kind of cobble everything together. And don't get me wrong, in the book, in the in the book, I do do that. I try to marshal existing resources and say, if you have questions about this issue regarding Hebrewism, these books will help you. But it's a big work of aggregation right now. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of we're kind of gathering things in, explaining things to people. We're in a very formative stages of, of doing the church clap back, if you want to call it that. But nonetheless, it's like, why not? And so I'm glad, I think we're starting to see it, you know? And uh, sometimes I'm like, dear Lord, don't let it be too late. You know, this ain't too late because we've been sleeping. They've done ran three laps and we're just now got out the blocks. Mm-hmm. We didn't hear this pistol, but it went off a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm encouraged by the work I see people doing, such as yourself. I noticed that you do a lot of online engagement with them. And there, I, I commend you for being able to engage with them for that long online. I don't have the the, the time to do it because um, it's just so much. It, anytime, I'm sure when this video goes up, it'll be 
tons and tons of comments on there. We'll get tons and tons of emails like we did the last time you were on. Anytime we post anything about Hebrew Israelism on our website, it's tons and tons of emails. I know I'm going to get flooded. And I do not have the time to engage. And and sometimes I don't see the engagement as as helpful in some cases. Some people really want to engage for to understand. Some people just want to engage to argue. How do you decipher who to respond to and who not to respond to? Because I know people are struggling with that as well. Right. Um, I, I do think it's good for people to have a relative. The Bible says be sober minded. And um that doesn't just mean don't be a drunkard, although I think that includes that, but it's a sense of a kind of a correct assessment of reality. And that includes some correct assessments about yourself. Now we all want to, I pray we all want to be more Christ-like and grow in the fruit of the spirit. But if you know you're a person tend to tend to like tempers and like, you know, you want to get violent back, you can't handle, then don't engage the Hebrews light on the street, for example. If you're a person who has a real like loose fingers and you just can't control like what you're about to type when you get it, you you should not engage Hebrew Israelites online. Like if you have a sense of where God has you and what you can do in that, um, then I think you kind of just look at that first. You know, like where are you constitutionally to use a way to put it? And I think that's important because uh, we just got to be real about where we're, all, where we're at with all that. But then you have to say, okay, what am I going to do online here? Do I just want to understand Hebrew Israelite stuff better? And if that's a if that's your goal, you you won't be as upset if um, maybe they don't respond the right way because you're just, you're just simply trying to understand. And even with non answers that they give, you're understanding more about them if you're being astute. And that's why we need to pray for wisdom and be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Other folks, you may realize there's people kind of paying attention to your engagement. And if you think it'd be beneficial for the saints, because the Bible says that when Apollos went over to the other saints in a certain city at the end of Acts 18, I believe it was, it says he blessed the saints there. And I believe it was because of his public engagement with uh, the rabbis and whatnot. And as he refuted them down to the last drop that, that um, people saw, Oh, this, this Christianity is real. Like look at Jesus in the old Testament. I think sometimes there's some people like, I think that's what, James White kind of did. I think a lot. That's what kind of happened there. Maybe that's you. Other times, there's someone you sense like the Lord is really working with, and we don't always know. But like, so I just think there's sort of a sense of wisdom. And for me, sometimes it's almost happenstance. Like there's a day where something's going on. I see one of them go live. I'll jump on there and try to talk, you know. Um, and I try not to shut anyone down. But there's no way you can respond to all this stuff because it's crazy. The level of they're they're prolific. When we put up a video, we already know in advance. When I say we, I mean the Shield Squad. We already know in advance it's going to get more dislikes than likes. We already we already know. That's like sort of the nature of the apologetic arena we're in because they're more interested than a lot of the Christians are in what we're doing, unfortunately. So they're going to come on there and just be flooded when they get a comments. But nonetheless, like you see the Christians being like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand what they're trying to say. Now I have an answer for my friend. And so just kind of, kind of thinking about that as you go into this. But there's no one size fits all to know who should engage, what, when, where, why. But even at Thriving Frequency, I had a street preacher say, I'm out there preaching. And I see these guys right down the street. I'm Philly. Should I engage in vocab? And we kind of talked about almost strategies of like how, how to help him think through when he should engage them versus when she should just also be doing his street preaching. And I think we came up with like a decent rubric that I think is helpful for him to say when he kind of break off to engage them versus stick to just evangelizing. You know what I'm saying? And because these are real questions, but we do that's the thing. What you just said. All of us should be thinking through these things. That's what we should be doing. Like, 
okay, how, when, what, where, not just, then eh, don't worry about it. They're crazy. You can't, we can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know that's not like the greatest answer. I'm just saying there are ways to approach it and we're learning together. This like apologetic to the Hebrews lights is almost like open source apologetics. Like people read my book, like, Hey, your argument could be better here. Vocab. And all right, well, let's adjust that thing because I already know that that's the case. Hey, do this, do that. This is, it's like open source because we're, we got to see how we're doing it together. So we tinker with it together. But again, holding on to Ephesians 3.20, he will build his church for all generations to the praise of his glory. So we should have a certain confidence as we go forward in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I ask that question is because I see many people that are engaging them Christians who get sucked into arguments and then it becomes more about winning the argument than about winning the person or that, you know, knowing that the burden of conversion is on God, not on us. Amen. And um, I think that's something that we have to be, I I'd much rather engage them one-on-one. Um, but I'm, I'm not much of a, a debater uh, via written uh, correspondence, like short correspondence, like tweet. Right, right, right. Uh, I'd much rather have a conversation verbally because I think that's where I'm the strongest. But other people are really great at writing responses versus they, they're not good at the thinking on just in regular conversation. So it just really depends right. on the person. I do think being able to meet with someone one-on-one is it's almost always the best. But it's just like when I had a strong focus on talking to Muslims Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to talk to them one on one and did and would, you know, invite them over to the house, meet them somewhere like at a halal restaurant, whatever, whatever. It doesn't mean that we stop the public engagement. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not supposed to be either or. I think like you can see that like with Paul where like he'll go into a synagogue and like he, he knows he's going to cause a ruckus when he says, you know, this verse speaks to Christ, the Messiah and the Jewish. Sin- he knows it's going to cause some problems or when he goes to the Stoic and the Epicureans. Hey guys, resurrection in the house. You know, he knows it's going to cause a problem, but yet Paul does that. But yet there's that public thing, but then he would open up the the hall there uh, in Ephesus. It says for three years, we just basically talked to anyone who would come to him. And he says, I taught publicly and I taught house to house in Acts 20. And so you see, it's not an either or. Uh, both. Yeah. And so, and now how a person individually does it, that may be different. I'm not saying every person needs to do both in, but just kind of realize the church as a whole collectively is kind of doing those things. And like, if you go back and find every comment I've ever made to a Hebrews light, uh, am I going to be 100% perfectly charitable? Everyone was just right on the money. No, but like, is there a conscious effort to try to say, okay, what is, what is best for satire here? What is best for a creative response? What is best to bypass what they're saying to talk about something that's more important? What's best to take the time to respond to this? Like, at least trying to think about it and we won't be perfect. But if we're doing that, God will use those, those efforts. And I think we've seen that because Lisa, since I talked to you last year, we've seen people come out. Now, is this religion shrinking? No, I predict it may reach NOI nation of Islam heyday numbers. And NOI actually was never very big, but they had an influence to outweigh their size, but they really are on the descension really. And I think this, this Hebrew is on the ascendancy and we need to recognize that. So I'm not making a prediction. We're shutting this down, but I am making a prediction. We're going to properly equip the church and we're going to defend and protect. And that, um, as long as we're faithful and obedient, we can be, we can kind of be glad in that. And I think I see that, that that's what's happening, but we've seen people come out is what I was trying to get around to. We've seen them come out and we've seen some marriages saved. Like I'm not even joking. Actual about to fall apart because one partner's doing this, you know, Hebrew is like thing. The other one's staying a Christian. We've seen that. 
We've seen um, families get together and do interventions. Were they always successful? No, but we've seen people come together and even have like, like, a, like, not like kind of like AA, you know what I'm saying? Like an intervention with the family. We've seen um, um, people be encouraged that just felt really alone because this has affected them. And maybe they're a single dad now with the kids and the, and the mom's Hebrew Israelite and she left him for a Hebrew Israelite. And there's all this trauma with the custody. And we've seen those men just be simply encouraged that almost like we exist. It's like, I thought I was the only one and I would just be kind of like be alone and understanding this the rest of my life and dealing with it. We've seen uh, churches get strengthened because there's been some churches that had some problems with this making inroads. We've seen lots of good things Now, There's also been sad tales. Almost everyone that I talked to after the session at thriving frequency, they came up to me almost like maybe 80% of the people when they started talking to me is because they had a family member, a close friend who was in this thing. And I was just like, does everyone have a, a sad story? This can't be, but almost everyone I spoke to is why they were at the session. And there was a lot of people at that session. So that's, it's more, it's more like, so let me just being blunt. When a white person says, why are you involved with that? Uh, that doesn't, that seems obscure and crazy. And you know, why, why are you involved with it? And I'm like, and I almost sometimes want, I, I sometimes take different approaches. Sometimes I say, if you have a black friend, cause every white person has at least one, right? They tell us, right? <laughs> if your white friend, if your black friend, ask them if they know someone who's involved in Hebrew Israelism. Because what I'm saying is, almost everyone knows someone who is in some way now. Almost everyone, like down to a person, they know some person in some way. That's an, and some people know multiple people. And so it's like, just because it's not on your radar doesn't mean it's important. Is what I'm trying to get at by that. And um, so there's a lot of sadness though. Even when I talk about the joy and the triumph and the beauty we've seen. There's some real sadness uh, from this thing too, and it's not helpful to the community because it teaches you to hate your neighbor, and it it's destructive to the family. Like, and I don't care what they say. That's really what it does, and we know because we get the testimonials. We 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 know from real people, not like, you know, some video. And so, uh, what we gonna do, church? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I definitely appreciate the work that you're doing, and we want to encourage everybody. I'm gonna lift up the book again. Uh, Barack Obama versus the Black Hebrew Israelites, and we already know before we get the email that they don't like to be called Black Hebrew Israelites as Hebrew Israelites, but that's one way that we were able to identify them for people who have no yes uh, uh, understanding of them outside of that. If you just say Hebrew Israelites, that people don't connect, but when you say Black Hebrew Israelites, they know immediately usually what you're talking about. So yeah, it's we, only on the cover. It only says mm -hmm. on the cover, not in the book. Yeah, I, 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 I was reading, you don't put it anywhere else. No. But the cover. So we are aware and we respect that you want to be called Hebrew Israelite. So I, I want to make that known before I get the email um, about it. <laughs> Let me just say something. Even some of their own books still call themselves Black Hebrew Israelites. You see the subtitle of this book? Oh, okay. This came out in 2017. So, and the funny thing is that she, she, I believe it's a female that wrote it, Jacqueline. She says why she did it. She's in it because an actual book, she doesn't really use the terminology much for it. It's like, Hey, that's my exact rationale. I got this book after I wrote the book. She says basically the same thing as what I said is why I use it. But there's still some Hebrews like leaders who use the term such as Nathaniel of IUIC. And I document that in the book and they used to use it themselves back in the like eighties and nineties as well. So it's like a newer sensitivity. Nonetheless, uh, I don't call him that in the book because I understand that. Last thing, last time I was on, I re-listened to the interview, what's called an errata. I think that's how you pronounce it, where you make a mistake. I talked about a Hebrew Israelite leader 
who had a 12-inch action figure doll made of himself. And uh, he sued the doll maker because it wasn't dark enough, which that's a wild tale in and of itself. And by the way, everything I just said is true. Uh, a guy named the Comforter, is what he calls himself, Tazadakia did that. But in the interview, I said the wrong Hebrew Israelite name. I said Yahana. It was not Yahana by SUPK. It was Tazadakia. Uh, and so I just want to make an errata from the last interview. But uh, even in that errata, it's kind of like, what? A guy had a 12-inch action figure doll of him? And it, okay. <laughs> but uh, anyways, it was Tazadakia, not Yahana. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. Gotcha, gotcha. Is there anything else before we tell them where they could get the book um, wh- that you want to say about the book? Um, if you're trying to get an all-out refutation for Hebrew Israelism, you'll be disappointed by the book. But I don't think that's what everyone needs yet because we're still in step one. So we're going to get to step two, which is refutation. But right now we're explaining folks to folks what this even is. This is a primer. It is a survey. But now that's not to say it's not detailed. Even though it's, it's like 144 pages at this point, it's pretty detailed in some of the information that's not vague. Uh, for a book of its size, there's a decent amount of footnotes. Now I write to where most people can understand. But uh, So after you read it, the idea is that you should be able to have intelligent, productive, as much as they can be, dialogues with folks who are considering getting into this or there already are. Now that's not saying that there's not points of refutation. There are points of refutation, but that's not the sole focus of the book. The sole focus of the book is a subtitle, An Introduction to the History and Beliefs of One West Hebrew Israelism. But honestly, these guys is one of their main weapons up to this point, Lisa, has been the surprise. No one really knows what they believe. They don't know what's going on. We're trying to take away that element of surprise because half the battle, like G.I. Joe used to say, now you know and knowing is half the battle. Half the battle for us is just simply knowing what they believe because honestly it's so unbiblical in some, in a lot of cases, so bizarre and so ungodly in a lot of cases. I mean I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of it that simply knowing it exposes it. And so a lot of this is just imagine this book as a flashlight. That's kind of like the, the way I see it at this point to shine a light on what the doctrine is really about. And that's a big part of the work. Because up till now, no, where's the, there's no systematic theology for this. You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do, watch a thousand YouTube videos? Well, I saved you the trouble. So <laughs> that's, that's a point by that. But you can get it on the book patch. The book patch? The bookpatch.com. It's, you can get a digital version, and you can get a physical version. And we will be making an announcement pretty soon. It will be available on other outlets. That's all I'll say for now. But it will be available on other outlets soon-ish, but it's still a process. So as of now, the, basically the, the publisher, printer of the book works with a company directly that they've worked with for years. And we've already had people get their orders. So this is this is already going on. Um, it's actually the people involved with the book that helped make this happen, Linehouse Publishing, Michael Williams, they have been very surprised at the clear response to this because we didn't really do a lot of promotion. There's like one video. That's the promotion. There's like one video. And now this, in, this is the first interview on it. We've been like really surprised at how many people have been like, I need to get this and have got it. So it's it's been kind of overwhelming and amazing. Like I've already, well, I've already had to reorder. Like so, it's it's uh, it's good to hear. It's good to see. And I've I've been getting some good feedback. I know I'm gonna get negative feedback. Some of it's gonna be deserved. I'm a first time author, ladies and gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? So bring it on and let's try to do this thing. Try not to laugh at the typos here and there too much. I mean, I'm over selling it in the sense of like because I see it, but really. The book is helpful and good, and I'm glad it exists, and I pray it does bless people. Amen, and I, and I know it will. How can people get in contact with you, Vocab? 
So, uh, you know, people can email me if they want, vocabmalone at gmail. They can have that. That's fine. But I am on Instagram, you know, and people sometimes have just the apologetic accounts. I just can't do that. So if you follow me on Instagram, it'll have apologetic stuff, but it's going to have some kids on there every now and then. It's going to have some stupid stuff on there about Star Wars and G.I. Joe every now and then. It's just I can't – I don't have time to run four accounts. So, But nonetheless, <laughs> you're going to see apologetic stuff. Same thing on Twitter, and it's all at vocabmalone. And then on Facebook, there's my personal page, which will say Cab Malone. And then there's the public page, which is also Vocab Malone. And also, I'm finally starting to become a little more active on YouTube. I finally learned by the grace of God basically how to make YouTube videos that are more like produced and not just interviews. And so if you go to my YouTube channel, which is also Vocab Malone, you'll see some newer stuff that you'll say, oh, coming up. All right, check this out. All right. So finally making some better like apologetic type videos also on YouTube. And then anything that Shield Squad does. Shout out to all the Shield Squad. There's Shield Squad Radio on Blog Talk. There's Shield Squad uh, Apologetics page on Facebook. And also a traditional website, theshieldsquad.com. So there's like a whole lot of ways we're trying to be active. And um, again, we need some help. We need some volunteers. And so bring it on because this is budding. This is happening right now. So if uh, you're wondering if you could be of help, if you're, if you're down and for real, yes, you can. So just hit us up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vocab. And remember, y'all get his book. Barack, Barack Obama versus the Black Hebrew Israelites on Book Hub. Is that it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, the book patch. The bookpatch.com. Book book and it'll, it'll be other places later. Stay tuned. It will be other places later. But right now, it's the book patch. And that's where most people have already got it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Hey, thank you, Lisa. Keep it up, Jew 3. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.